A lot of times what business owners will do is they'll see this opportunity and they're uncertain. And so they don't do anything. And both of those can be equally problematic, if not deadly to business owners. So you see the folks that are just blindly making decisions. It feels right. My gut's telling me this. Or they're like, gosh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. Is this the right decision? Can we afford it? They don't do anything. And what that's doing is it's holding business owners back from growth. Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. Today, I get to share with you a conversation that I had with Michael King. Michael is the founder of KFE Solutions. They provide fractional CFO support for business business owners around the country. I was introduced to Michael through several friends and customers of ours who just alluded to the fact that he and his team at KFE have done such incredible work to help bring clarity and freedom and peace to their finances. And after I had a phone conversation with Michael, it was so clear why that was the story. He has a gift for communicating about finances in a way that is both simple, but also energetic. I'm so excited for you to hear this very practical conversation. But first, I wanted you to hear a little bit of Michael's background. It's not a traditional story, uh, to, to say the least. But before I dive into that, let me just say thank you for the opportunity to come and, and speak to your audience and to serve this way. I'm, I'm excited and humbled to be here. So thank you so much for having me, Alex. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this. The, the conversations that we've had prior to this one, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I can't <laughs> wait for our people to hear his perspective. So, okay, give us, give us this wild story, Michael. Sure. So I spent the first 11 or so years of my professional career as a nuclear engineer on submarines in the Navy. That's, that's where I lost my hair, I think. And, uh, you know, after seven or 11 years of doing that, I decided the tooling around in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean at five miles an hour wasn't the life of excitement that I had hoped it would be. So I, I left the Naval Service uh, about 11 years ago now and went into plywood manufacturing, of all things, as, as an engineer. And people often ask me, how did you go from nuclear submarines to plywood manufacturing? And I was actually hired to be an engineer at the plywood mill. Uh, working on heat systems. And so there's actually, you know, thermodynamics are thermodynamics. It doesn't matter what the environment is. So I, I was hired there. And interestingly, I was there for so about a year and I was, I was promoted to run the facility. I was moved out of engineering and more into the operations side of things. And in that role, Alex, I had PL accountability for the first time, and, and we were doing multiple, multiple eight figures a year of revenue. I was so excited for the opportunity, but the, the biggest problem I had was I wasn't sure what PRL stood for, much less how to be accountable for it. And as I was sharing with you before, one day I went to the controller, who's like the, the head of accounting, and I had asked her, I said, you know, hey, what, what am I looking at here? What are all these reports that you give me? And she says, well, bless your, bless your little heart, sweetie, sit down. You know, just true Southern, you know, lady reminded me of my mom. And so I sat down with her and she starts explaining all these reports to me. But the, the challenge was is she's, she's using these financial terms to explain other financial terms. And my head's kind of spinning. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, gosh, I've got a nuclear engineering degree and I'm, I'm struggling to understand what all of this is that she's telling me. You know, I'm, it's not due to a lack of education. 
But I told her, I said, hey, look, time out. What I need from you is, can you just explain to me, how can I use these reports to make smarter decisions in the business tomorrow? And she looked at me, she paused for just a second, and she said, well, sweetie, that's your job, not mine. <laughs> I said, okay, <laughs> fair, fair enough. And so, you know, from there, Alex, I said, I need to learn this language of business, particularly the language of finance and accounting. And so I went and I, I got an MBA. And I'll, I'll never forget my first day in, in graduate level accounting. I'm sitting in this classroom. There's a, a PhD in accounting up there teaching. And he's kind of teaching the same way that the controller did. And, and what I realized is accountants and finance folks, they're a lot like software developers, a lot like engineers too. They're great at communicating with one another, but sometimes they struggle to communicate outside of their profession. And as I went on in my, my schooling and my experience, you know, I, I, I came across this statistic that 50% of small businesses fail in the first five years, 80% won't make it to 10 years. But when you pull the onion back, you go a little bit deeper into the, the details there, what you'll find is the vast majority, Alex, they're not failing because of a bad product. They're not failing because of a bad service. They're failing because they're making bad financial decisions. And I said, you know, the folks that know this stuff, the, the folks that understand the numbers, they're struggling to communicate it to, to people like me and, and to just regular business owners. And there's so many of them that are failing because they don't understand. They, they're not getting that communication they need. And I said, you know what? I want to I be the solution to that. I want to be the person that, that explains the numbers to business owners so that they can understand their numbers and make better decisions. And so seven years ago, this month, actually, I started my, my fractional CFO firm, KFE Solutions. And now that's my mission. And my team's mission is to help business owners understand their numbers so they can make better decisions. So that's kind of the, the long-winded path from nuclear submarines to finance nerd. <laughs> I love that. I've come to believe that with most successful people that I talk to, the only traditional path is a non-traditional path. So it's, almost like, yeah, it's like, it doesn't make any sense, but it makes a heck of a lot of sense. Exactly. And I was introduced to you by one of our members, Gerald Nichols, who I know you work with, and he's a, he's a customer of y'all's. And he is. one of the things that Gerald has just gone uh, above and beyond to just say is, man, he just says, man, Michael does such a good job of bringing energy to the conversation, but also bringing simplicity to the conversation. And certainly whenever we've talked, I've seen both of those things play out, Michael. One of the things that really strikes me about the way you talk about this topic is the level of passion that you bring to it. For you, like what is the core passion for helping business owners with their finances, because it's something that honestly, there's not a ton of people that are actually that passionate about it. <laughs> well, I, I don't know that I'd agree with that, Alex. I just think that normally people in this field are, tend to be a little bit more, more reserved than I am, and they, they kind of keep it inside. But make no doubt, there, there are, there's definitely no lack of passion. Uh, maybe the outward energy, but definitely not a lack of passion in the industry. But I'm glad you asked why I do it, because there's this word that just means the world to me in its impact. You know, the, I went through this, this uh, I don't think actually you and I have talked about this, but I, I went through a bit of an existential crisis about, oh gosh, eight or nine years ago now where I struggled to come, up, to come to terms with my definition of success was. I had always correlated success to an income number. And I remember one day I reached that income goal. I got my first paycheck 
at that income level. And on my drive home, I'm immediately thinking about the next number. You know, this is great, but won't it be amazing if or amazing when? And it started to dawn on me that I was chasing a carrot that I would never reach. And so I spent the weekend actually pretty choked up, you know, a lot of prayer, a lot of tears. And I said, you know, if, if this isn't success, then what is? If it's not this number and it's not any number, then what is success? And what I realized is my, my mission, my purpose on this world was to make people better for having known me. And then I said, well, gosh, well, how am I going to do that? And I realized that I was blessed with this gift of simplification of teaching other people complex topics. I recognized that in the nuclear program, I was able to explain some, some pretty complicated topics to people in a way that they had that light bulb. And so the, the reason that I'm passionate about this is because I've recognized when it comes to impact, there are just millions and millions of small business owners out there, and they are the backbone of our country. The work that they do, the people they employ, the vendors that, that they allow in, those, those are the folks that are, that are paying mortgages and, and college tuitions and you know, setting up retirement. And I look at this as an opportunity to wake up every day, pour into those folks that are touching our economy more than the, the Apples and the IBMs or the Teslas of the world. These are real folks. And I have an opportunity to serve them and create real impact in, in real people's lives. And if you can't tell, like, I get goosebumps over this stuff. Like, that's why, <laughs> that's why I get out of bed every day and do this, because that's, that's the way that I can bring impact and change in a very real way to very real people. I love that. Okay, so that's the why. If you run into a business owner on an elevator and they say, okay, well, what do you and KFE Solutions do? How do you answer that question? Sure. The way I like to explain it is with a little bit of a compare and contrast. Most people understand what accountants or bookkeepers do. And the way I like to explain that is, you know, accountants and bookkeepers, they do a great job. They've spent their entire education and career learning how to report on what happened with the numbers in the past. And it's very needed. It's very necessary, if for no other reason, just to keep you out of trouble with the government. But they've spent their whole careers learning on how to report on what happened in the past. But the reality is business owners, like just like you and me, our goals, our dreams, our aspirations, those things all live in the future. We're looking ahead. We need to understand, hey, we've got these BHAGs. You know, if, if you're like an EOS kind of business, we got these BHAGs, we've got these 10-year goals, five-year goals. Those are all in the future. And so what a fractional CFO does, and that's, that's my firm, is we help you put clarity around the numbers on the future-looking things. When you're, when you're putting the tactics behind your strategies, you've got questions. You're, you know, is this going to be profitable? Do we have enough cash for that? Things like, what are the tax implications going to be in three years? We help put some, some meaningful understanding behind that so that you can make better decisions today. And you're not looking, looking you know, back a year or three or five years from now and saying, gosh, I wish I had realized when we put this plan in place that our profit was going to look like this or that we actually needed this much more cash. It's really around clarity and confidence around decision making. What are the present day challenges and problems that the average business owner or by extension their team experience that especially play out in the financial world whenever you coincide with them? You know, it's it's interesting. People normally make big spending decisions and, and small spending decisions too a lot of times, Alex, in one of two ways. You know, they'll, they'll look at this opportunity, they'll get excited about it, and they'll do one of two things. 
they'll look at it and they'll, they'll, they'll cross their fingers and close their eyes and, and pray to Jesus. They'll make the decision and go for it and hope it works out. Right. So and that's dangerous. That's obviously a dangerous approach to things. But the, the opposite side is also true. A lot of times what business owners will do is they'll see this opportunity and they're uncertain. And so they don't do anything. And both of those can be equally problematic, if not deadly to business owners. So you see the folks that are just blindly making decisions. It feels right. My gut's telling me this or they're like, gosh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. Is this the right decision? Can we afford it? They don't do anything. And what that's doing is it's holding business owners back from growth. It's, it's causing problems because they're not growing in a way where they're informed and they're, or they're confident or they're not, they're not growing at all. You know, and I think that's where the big problem is, is especially business owners that have that growth mindset. They're looking to, to do big things and, and to make moves. They're tired of the status quo. They're either making decisions without having all the information or they're frozen. And so I, I think that's the biggest challenge that, that we're seeing right now with business owners. One of our coaches, he's a former business owner and he now coaches business leaders within the Path for Growth community. He's become fond of this three word principle that I, I swear he says it every day to the point where it's almost got annoying, but it's so true that it's like, well, I can't tell you it's annoying, but he just says clarity creates action is what he keeps ah, saying. Kyle is it. his name. And, I mean, and I feel like that's a little bit of what you're talking about, right? Is it's like, man, when people lack clarity, it's like they freeze up a little bit. Yeah. Again, they'll either freeze up or they'll hope for the best. You know, mm. and, and that's what we that's what we see, we come across every day. And that's normally how business owners start working with us is they're in one of those two buckets. They're like, we've been make, winging it for too long or we've been stuck for too long. You know, how, how do we how do we move forward with it? But clarity creates action. Action. Love it. Yep. I'm going to have to Nailed steal it. that one. That's a good one. Well, and what's so interesting is and I can experience this, but also a lot of the leaders that we work with, I think, would relate to this is. The finances of the business is an area of maybe ambiguity. It's not the spot in the business that they're most comfortable with. They're great working with people. They're that visionary person that loves being in brainstorming meetings. They can talk about goals and ideas, I mean, all day long. And, the, and they're really good at executing on it, clearly, too. But then whenever it comes to the finances, that's an area that feels ambiguous to them. And what I've observed for myself is my natural tendency is to avoid the ambiguity. Uh, do you have theories? First of all, have you seen that play out? And then would you have theories as to why we avoid that ambiguity? Uh, we see it every day. We see it every day. And it's just, it's human nature. You know, we, we shy away from those things that we don't feel confident in or we don't have security around. And so, so we tend to avoid them and we tend to lean into those areas where we are more comfortable or we are more secure. So as an example, marketing, not my strength. So when marketing conversations come up, I'll duck out, right? But as soon as the strategy conversations or the, the financial conversations, I'm like, yeah, I'm all in, you know, and, and I get so excited. But I think what the issue is here is as a business owner that is mature and is making and is, is comfortable in their own skin, we've got to recognize the fact that, you know, in business, mission is everything. But without money, we can't sustain the mission. And so sometimes what that means is letting go of the ego or letting go of the fact that we should know this, but we don't. And so we're going to shy away from it. And instead, let's lean into it and surround ourselves with, with the wisdom of counselors that are exceptional in this area so that we can move forward. I would say that we have an obligation or a responsibility to do that when we find ourselves 
kind of lacking in that confidence. And it's it's not a testimony of your competency as a business owner if you don't understand those things. It just means that you've got to get people around you that do so that you can move forward and, and continue to grow your business. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a big word, but I think it actually applies uh, is the word shame. I often find that the most helpful like definition of shame is actually that acronym where it's should have already mastered everything. And I, I mean, I put that weight on myself. I see business owners of, I mean, $20 million organizations that they are really scared as it relates to the finances, but they don't feel like they can ask questions around it because they should have already mastered it. And it's like, man, that is just so not helpful. Do you, would, would you, what would you say to that person, I guess, that feels themselves in the grip of that feeling like, man, I should have this figured out and I don't. I'll take it one step further. It, go, you know, it's it's shame and guilt. It's shame mm-hmm. and guilt because I think most of us inherently as business owners, we know we need to know, the, you know, the, at least the basics of, of accounting and finance and cash flow forecasting and projections. And we know that we need to know those things. And so you're right, like the shame, the guilt sets in. But I would encourage anyone listening to this that, that you know, is they're, they're listening and they're like, that, that's me. The first word of encouragement I'd leave you with is, or offer to you is, look, you're not alone. That's probably the most common bit of feedback we get when we first start working with people is they're like, look, gosh, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm a little embarrassed. You know, I don't like going to my team meetings when this stuff comes up because I'm embarrassed. I feel guilty. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit ashamed that I can't speak to these things more intelligently. And so, yeah, I would, I would encourage you just like, look, you're not alone. This is the, I would venture to say the vast majority of business owners out there, even folks that have an MBA, find themselves in this, in this predicament. The second thing is there's good news. You don't have to have mastered finances. You know, that's what the, the, the me's of the world do and, and other folks like this. It's our job to master it. It's your job to just understand the fundamentals. And, you know, just like you were mentioning with Gerald earlier, the, the fundamentals aren't that complicated. You just need to know the basics so that you can make the best decisions possible in your business and let the people that are passionate and, and deeply educated and, and get up at, you know, every day to do spreadsheets, let them worry about the mastery. You just need to understand the basics so that you can make the most informed decisions possible in your business. Yeah. Do you have a story or maybe like a case study of someone that was maybe really trapped in that position, but then decided to say, okay, I'm going to ask for help and then started to apply the fundamentals and then get an expert like outside. Any case studies or stories come to mind? Sure. There's a ton. I mean, you mentioned Gerald earlier and they're, they're a great example of this. You know, they, they had, they recognized they needed that, that help and they were, they were stuck with it. And I think this is a little out of order from what you said, but we came in and really empowered them to show them what are the basics that you need to know. What are those fundamental things that you need to understand and really leaned in with the heart of a teacher so that they understood it? Because look, at the end of the day, if you have someone on your team that's just feeding you the answers and not teaching you, not helping you grow as a, as a business leader, you've probably got the wrong person on your team. So, you know, it's important for us to, to teach and empower people to make those, those smarter decisions. So you know, we go in and, and we're teaching the fundamentals and empowering folks to understand across the leadership team. 
and while that's happening, you, we're kind of in the background with some of the more advanced and more nuanced things, more on that mastery side. And when the two of those come together, it's really powerful. You know, when the business owners, when it clicks, when the light bulb comes on and they're, they're able to make decisions around gross profit margins and they understand how that impacts cash flows, you know, six months from now. That, that's when the team dynamics really start to hit and the just kind of magical things start to happen. That's what I love so much about what y'all do specifically, Michael, is it feels like y'all help people establish the infrastructure necessary for the more complex stuff to be able to be worked on by a team like yours or someone else. But what's interesting is a lot of times the first step people are often intimidating by is just establishing that infrastructure, just getting the fundamentals in place. What are the financial fundamentals that you would tell people like, hey, if you can just start to get this base level in place, well, from there, we can start to do the extra stuff. I'll give you a couple because my, my mind races a little bit. Number one, you've got to understand what we call the critical four. These are the four financial metrics that we work with our six and seven figure clients and our multiple eight figure clients on. If you can understand the critical four financial metrics, which are simply revenue, gross profit, net profit, and cash. If you can understand how every decision you make in your business impacts those four numbers you're already like ahead of 70% of the competition, you know, and, and I would argue that every decision in your business touches one of those four numbers in some way, shape or form. So the first thing is just getting okay with the fact that yes, in the world of accounting and finance, there's thousands of KPIs and metrics. If you can really just understand those four revenue, gross profit, net profit, and cash, and understand how every decision flows through those numbers, you're doing great. The second bit of advice, and I think, Every CEO, again, whether you're just starting or whether you've been in business for, you know, multi-generational business, 50 years, every CEO should understand the fundamentals of cash flow forecasting. It's a superpower that requires addition and subtraction, right? You don't, you don't even need like, you know, calculus to do this, but it's a superpower that will enable you to make safe decisions throughout your entire time in business. So, all right, what is a cash flow forecast? Because I know people are like, it sounds cool. What does it mean? And when you think of a cash flow forecast, it's simply this. How much cash do I have in the bank today? Like literally in the bank account, we're going to add to that the amount of cash that we think is coming in today. We're going to subtract the amount of cash that's coming out today. And then we see what our predicted balance is at the end of the day. Okay, so we got bank account, the goes ins minus the goes outs equals how much we have at the end of the day. And we look at that not just for today, but this month, this quarter, this year, we start looking at it, you know, kind of monthly on a 12 month forecast. And all of a sudden it unlocks this tool where you're saying, all right, we are in March right now and we want to hire a new VP of sales in September, and we think this VP of sales is going to cost us, I'll make up a number, 10000 a month plus labor burden. And you, you have your cash flow forecast and you start plugging it in and you see how that new hire impacts your cash balance. You can start to say, hmm, September's not the right time for us because we will have just come out of our slow season. You know, we're slow during the summer. But we know that we're going to pick up in October, as an example. And so if we you know, put that higher off until November, we would feel a lot safer about our cash position. It's such an amazing and empowering tool to help with those decisions. And like, let's be honest, the number one fear when it comes to finances is running out of cash. 
I think mm-hmm. most business owners, that's the biggest fear is, am I going to make payroll? Am I going to be able to pay my taxes when taxes come up? But you get this cash flow forecast in place, all of a sudden the answers are unlocked for you and you can make much more confident decisions. I love those four critical metrics and the cash flow uh, forecasting format. What is the biggest blocker that you see businesses often experience to just having essentially those simple things, not easy things, but simple things in place? They, they don't know because, you know, you, you open up QuickBooks as an example. There's, there's hundreds or thousands of numbers in there, you know, and, and as a business owner, you say like, well, gosh, I want to get into the finances. I want to look and I want to really understand these, but where do you start? And it can just be overwhelming. You start researching, you know, or maybe you ask your accountant and they don't give you an, an answer that's just easily digestible. So I'd say the first thing is just understanding, like, where do you need to start? Those, those are the four numbers. And those, those numbers come right off the profit and loss statement or the income statement in either your bank account or your balance sheet, right? So anyone can pull those four numbers. I think they're even bolded in QuickBooks. You know, those are the, the, the primary sections in there. So the, the main one is just understanding where to start. But the second one is, is just like we kind of talked about earlier, just that, that willingness to say, I don't know this stuff, but I, I have to start. It's time for me to take ownership of this and, and just get started. Mm. One of the things that I also really appreciate about your perspective on all of this is like you're not making caveats for industry or stage of business on those fundamental things. So clearly you think every industry needs these things. Do you experience that it may be more challenging or that there may be nuances by industry, Michael? Not with the fundamentals. Mm. You know, it's it's we, we've done this, you know, uh, so many businesses now from startups to, again, multi-generational businesses, generate b- businesses that have exited. The fundamentals are the fundamentals for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, it's I go back to the fundamentals of, of engineering and it doesn't matter how complex a project is. The fundamentals are still there. Right. They don't ever change. Now, as a business grows and as a business gets you know larger in terms of, of locations or employees or revenue, complexities and nuances do start to come in, but they're all built off of those fundamentals, the critical four. Uh, Absolutely. Mm. Do y'all work with construction companies or companies in the service industry? We only work with companies in service industry. <laughs> there you so go. You, I like this. I mean, yeah, like that's 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 who we love. Sir, I love just. I come from a blue collar family. I was enlisted in the military. You know, I was blue collar until you know I was well into my thirties. We just love hardworking folks that that go out and uh, you know pour pour everything into it. But it, you know, construction. Um, roofers, movers, plumbers, electricians, IT companies, really, and some light manufacturing as well. But back to your last question about nuances, I'd say one of the big things, if I had to pick a nuance, really comes with some of those construction types or related industries. You know, past the critical four, the next thing I would, in the cash flow forecast, so important for those folks to get dialed in. You got to get that WIP report dialed in. Mm-hmm. That WIP report for those industries that's your bread and butter right there. And I talk to a lot of service business owners and, you know, they're like, oh, they kind of give you the grin, that like guilty grin. You're like, oh, yeah, we, we, we know we got some work to do on, on the WIP report. But I'm telling you, <laughs> your, your finances, it's, it's, they all give the grin, you know. And that's great because that gets us excited because we know we can help them. But uh, don't ignore the WIP report. You know, if you're especially if you're in one of those industries where, you know, projects are taking place over a period of time and you've got to manage costs and cash flows really tightly, 
don't don't neglect the whip report. I can't I can't overstate the importance of having a whip report and having one that's accurate and up to date. Depending on the size of the company, it might need to be updated daily or, or weekly in a lot of cases because of how much money is at stake. Mm, that was going to be my next question. Maybe just looking at the critical four that you listed, what rhythm do you recommend for people reviewing those things? And and who would you recommend be in those evaluation or review meetings or sessions? Sure. You know, monthly is a, is a good pace. Why not more frequently? The critical four are going to change until your accounting is closed out for the prior month. So if you're looking at you know revenues and, and profitability mid-month before your bookkeeper accountant has had a chance to really solidify everything, ask all the questions that they might have and say, okay, the, the books are closed out, those, those numbers are going to change. So I would say wait until your accountant has closed out the, the numbers from the previous month, then take a look at the critical four. And I recommend you look at those numbers on a rolling 13-month basis. So as an example, at the time of this recording, we're in March. So when we review February's numbers, I would want to look at February of this year all the way through February of last year so that we can see year-over-year change as well as any seasonalities or trends that might have been exposed throughout the year. So I love that thirteen rolling 13 months and look at it once a month. Now, that said, I don't agree that that's the right periodicity to look at the cash flow forecast. Okay, now the cash flow forecast, you could look at monthly, but a lot of us go through seasons of uncertainty and let's be honest, fear with cash where you're really, you're worried about payroll. So with a cash flow forecast, you might want to do a weekly cash flow forecast where you're looking just six weeks into the future and you might want to update that daily or a couple of times a week just to give you that level of understanding and security on where you're at with the cash balance so that you're not laying in bed at night wondering, should we have enough for payroll in 10 days? Or yeah, I feel really good. Cause I'll tell you like nothing in business keeps me up at night or causes me to lose sleep or get that anxiety more than making payroll. When I'm uncertain about payroll, that's where I really, really start to stress out. And so if that's you, if that speaks to you right now, I would look at doing a, a six week cash flow forecast and update it every day or two. Yeah. That was one of the greatest pieces of advice that a mentor gave me before I started my business. He he is someone, he's probably one of the most, I guess, just greatest business acumen of any leader that I know probably. And he said, Alex, he's like, every single Thursday for me is cash flow Thursday. And he said, every, uh, hey, right. And it's like, man, and, and that kind of makes it putting a name to it and being like, hey, this is my time. This is when I do it. It's like really good, right? Cash flow Thursday. He said, I sit down every single Thursday and review the cash flow. He grew that business in 10 years from, I mean, left full time job, cashed out his 401k, started at zero to a hundred million dollar business in 10 years. And he said up until he delegated the CEO role, which he eventually did, he said up until that day, he was doing cash flow Thursday every single Thursday. And good for him. And I was so grateful to him that he gave me that advice because otherwise cash flow would have been a thing that I probably would have checked out maybe once a month, probably once a quarter. And it's like you don't get the compounding 
value or the knowledge and awareness if you're only looking at it once a quarter, I don't think. I love it. We've got a new day. I'm, I'll have to let, let my team know. It's, it's cash flow Thursdays. I love <laughs> That's it. It's right. just, it rolls off the tongue. One of my favorite sayings is revenue is vanity, profit is sanity, and cash is king. You know, and, and it's interesting when you kind of break those three things out. You know, I like to joke, I said, you know, when you're out golfing with your buddies or, you know, you're you're having a beer or something with with a friend, we always tend to talk about the revenue side. You know, but if, if you're doing one hundred million dollars a year in revenue, but you're spending one hundred fifty million dollars a year, you don't have a good business. You don't have a healthy business. You know, you're losing 50 million a year, but we always tend to focus on that revenue part. So it's complete vanity. And then the, the profit is sanity. And the reason I like that is because it, it really tells us, is the machine that we're running, is the juice worth the squeeze? You know, is it, is it producing the, the required outputs or the desired outputs that we want? But then that reminder that cash is king, because the reality is there's a difference between profit and cash. And I know probably everyone that's listening to this, you've had those months or those years where you're like, gosh, I'm looking at the P&L. We had a great year. Where'd it go? You know, why, why is there no money in the bank or in my pocket right now? And it's because those, there's those cash expenses that don't show up on the P&L. And so it's important not to just look at the, the profitability, but also the cash. That's one of my favorite sayings. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rob your cash flow Thursday thing and uh, feel, feel free to take that I one. I like it. Very cool. Yeah, it's one of the things that has really stood out to us in the past three years of building this business is we've been working really hard to compile what are the fundamentals. We use that same language that a business owner needs to put in place in order to practice healthy growth. So often we see that people don't have the structure to keep them where their vision takes them. And so it's like, man, they've got this great vision for the future, but they don't have the systems, the processes, the structure in place. And as we were working on those 12 fundamentals and said, this is the structure that you need to put in place, it just became so clear. Financial health metrics, very similar to what you're talking about and rhythms associated with them are just absolutely essential because I think I've been doing this now for 10 years. And I think about the number of times I've worked with business leaders that, man, I mean, their business was humming. Like they, they had done the work to create the structure necessary and then they were surprised because they didn't have visibility into the financial state of what was going on. And it seems like so much of what you're talking about, Michael, is just eliminating the risk of surprise in many ways. It, it is. It's, you know, I, I break it into five things. You know, it's what, what we talk about touches five emotions, Goals, dreams, aspirations, fears, and uncertainties, you know, and that, and that where that risk, you know, hits on the fears and uncertainties. But I think it's, it's also around making sure that you've got the right mechanics in place to go after your goals, dreams, and aspirations. Those reasons that you started your business in the first place. And, and they're all, you know, depending on the season that you're in and, and whatnot, they're all, they can all be as, just as important uh, as the others. But, but yeah, it's, it's about eliminating that risk or mitigating that risk and just finally having that sense of confidence that what you're doing is, is going to work. You're going in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, and it, it seems like there's a lot tied into that, too, about the difference between working hard and working smart. I've seen so many people specifically in maybe blue collar work and service industry where it's like they say, man, we worked 7x harder this year and we made less money. And, and just, man, that's just such a, I mean, I can't imagine how much that sucks. And it's just like, man, we got to dial in the profitability of each individual job. It, it hurts my heart 
it, it really does hurt my heart because you know, I've been in companies where we did that. I was the COO of an IT company for a number of years and we lived that, you know, where, I mean, we, we grew the team, right? We added headcount, we added marketing, revenue was up. The, the senior leaders, we were all, I mean, nights and weekends, we were working our tails off to make it the best year we had ever had. And then, you know, we, we turn around every quarter, profit was actually down, cash was actually down compared to, to years prior. And it's because we didn't have these fundamentals dialed in. We weren't thinking about, the, like you said, the profitability of, of this job. And when you're not looking at the profitability of a job, how in the world are you supposed to know if your, your quoting process is right, if your bidding process is right, if your, if your material costs are going to work out or not? You've got to look at these jobs, you know, especially if you haven't done it ever. You've got to do it on a per job basis to make sure that it's all working or you're going to be just like you said, Alex, you're going to be in that spot where everyone is just doing, you know, 7x more and working harder and just trying their best and it's not going to pay off. You've really, you've got to be, you've got to really be dedicated to looking at this stuff. Mm. It stands out to me that I could see one of the blockers y'all experience is, uh, have you ever heard Pat Lencioni use the term sophistication bias? Have you heard of that? <laughs> yes, I love, I love Pat. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, I mean, it's like he talks about, I think it's in the advantage. He's like one of the actual blockers to people applying the work that's in the book, The Advantage, is people say, there's no way it's that simple. And, and no, you need to have an MBA. You need to be way smarter than I am to do what he's talking about here. There's no way all you actually need is four critical metrics and then cash flow forecasting. It sounds like the message that you're trying to tell people is like, it's, it, 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 it's not easy to get there, but it is simple. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what it is. You know, it's, it's simple, but not easy. Right. And again, you want to have counsel around you. You want to have people that can support you when you when you get to the point that you're like, OK, I understand this is simple, but I need people that can help me with the, the hard work that goes into it. You've got to bring it around. But, you know, a lot of times in life, you know, certainly with this, but in life, those complexities exist to serve our egos. You know, we, we like to have the flashy, fancy this and that and the other around us and the charts and the graphs and the KPIs and the ratios and all of the things and, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll I'll, I'll get on a call with somebody that's interested in working with us. And they ask, like, where's all this stuff? And I said, look, I can show you all that stuff. It looks great on a sales call. But how are you going to use it to make smarter decisions in your business next month? You know, what, how is that going to serve you in your goals, dreams, aspirations, fears and uncertainties? How is it going to help you hire more people or pay people more or have more impact? And I get the blank stare and they're like, okay, you're right. And I said, so let's just start with the fundamentals. And if we need to add on from there, because we need more sophistication to level the business up, we'll add it on as necessary. But we've been doing this seven years now. We've got clients that have been with us most of that ride and we're still sticking to the fundamentals. And guess what? They're still growing. In fact, their bank accounts are growing because their cash is doing well. Their profitability is great and their revenues are going up. So we, we've got a pretty good track record of proving that the sophistication isn't where the where the money's at. It's in the simplicity and in the the day to day. Just sticking to the fundamentals and executing those with excellence in every decision we make. 
And it seems like there's maybe two associated principles with that. It's, it's number one, one we talk about all the time related to leadership on this podcast is consistency compounds. It's like, sure, you could look at all these fancy numbers maybe once or occasionally, but it's like it, what you do occasionally isn't going to move the needle. It's going to be what you do consistently. And then the second thing is th- something that I just find regularly plays out true in my life and my business is like, man, what I look at moves. It's crazy. Like, I don't even have to say this is my full action plan for the next 90 days related to those metrics. I just have to commit to I'm going to look at them one day a week, you know, every single week, no matter what. And it's like they will start to move. It's because I can't sit there and watch them and not do something about it. You know, 100 percent. I'll give you a quick example. This is a, a business we work with in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Love these guys. They're, they're just amazing human beings. They're in the appliance repair industry. And the appliance repair industry, not notorious for having super high margins. You know, it's not the glorious kind of business that, you know, some of us might think about. And, you know, we were working with them for a while and got the critical four in place and we're talking about it. And their, their prop, net profit margins were just a little bit below average. Right. And they're, they're already low. I mean, industry average is already pretty low, like single digits. And so we got laser focused on their gross profit, increasing their gross profit margins. And it's interesting as the team starts talking about what could we do? Like, let's just throw ideas out there. What could we do? We, we got into this little project with them where they were looking at the efficiency of their technicians in the field offering add-ons, like great products and add-ons that their clients needed. And they recognized that three of their techs were really good at it. Three of them were not doing it all. And what we recognized was that the three that weren't doing it all had all started at the same time. They hadn't been trained because the trainer was like out on vacation or maternity leave. I forget what it was. But because we had the whole team rallied around that one number, gross profit margin, we, we were able to recognize there was a training deficiency. They got trained, put everything in place. Their gross profit margins are actually well above average now, which means that their net profit margins are actually, I think they're 14% above industry averages now. And that has changed the game for them. So it's the, interesting, like to your point, that power of focus, we're just looking at four things and asking ourselves smarter questions about how can we be better on one of these? And when the whole team rallies around those simple concepts, powerful things can happen. Mm, I, I love that example. That's so powerful. I'd love for us to look at a few different groups of people. The, the first group of people that I would like to look at is I know we have several of these listening to this podcast. It's someone who owns or runs a business and maybe they just got started. It's them, maybe some contractors, maybe they have one or two team members and they're intimidated by the finances. What are the steps that that person needs to take, Michael? Out of the gate, none of this matters. Nothing that I talked about today matters if you don't have solid books, you know? So if you're just getting started, don't skimp on bookkeeping, right? Hire a proper bookkeeper and you don't need to spend thousands of dollars a month. Like that's definitely price and quality are not always related when it comes to having somebody take care of the books, but find someone that is a trained professional bookkeeper to do the books. Because if the books are wrong or if they're not done, and I know there's some people listening to this that they're like, gosh, I don't even have a, I don't even have books. Then it's impossible to understand what your revenues and your gross profit, net profit, all those things are. So if I could, those earlier stage entrepreneurs, if I give you one piece of advice, 
Invest in a, a proper bookkeeper. It can be someone that's a subcontractor. It can be a service. You don't need to hire a W-2 employee to do it if you're just getting started. It can definitely be outsourced. But get yourself a proper set of books because that's where every that's like where everything begins and ends. If you don't have good books, impossible to do the rest. So I would say if you're just starting, hire that bookkeeper. And then the next thing I would say is that cash flow forecast. Just gonna go back to what I said earlier about how it works, that math. And, and start, you know, exercising that muscle of that weekly cash flow forecast and just do it for the next six weeks. You know, just do it six weeks out every week, update it. That's going to serve you really, really well for a long time. Man, I just love anytime we get to talk to that group of people because I'm like, man, if they act on what you just said, you just saved them thousands of dollars and so much heartache. It's not even funny. Like if they just do what you just said. It's the heartache. It's the heartache. I mean, starting a business... I've done, I've, I've got two. It's scary. I don't, I don't care who you are. I feel like if you tell me it's not scary starting a business for the first time, I question your integrity because it's, it's scary, especially if you've got some folks working for you, you know, your family's counting on you to figure this out. You've got employees, them and their families are figuring, are counting on you to figure this stuff out. And so, you know, normally it's money is the biggest driver of that fear. When you first start out a business, you know, your trade, you know, how to roof, you know how to plumb. You know how to do the technical work. You spent your whole career figuring that out. It's the business side now. And so I'm, I'm telling you, as someone that's served hundreds and hundreds of business owners now that are exactly where you're at, the best thing that you can do is get those books and the, the cash flow forecast in place if you want to drastically mitigate or reduce that fear, that laying in bed where the wheels just keep turning and the stress and anxiety. You'll thank me for it later. You'll thank yourself for it later, too. That's right. That Whenever I left to start the business, it was one of the first hires we made was we work with Belay and we still do. Her name is Nicole. She she is our bookkeeper. Uh, that's why I, I work with her. Oh, that's awesome. Belay too. Yeah, oh, that's great. Yeah. I mean, I would I would recommend Belay to anyone. They're an incredible organization and, and they just do such great work. Um, but it, it's interesting. I, anytime I, I talk about the finances to someone of our business, I always feel like I have to remind myself and them like, I promise I'm not stupid. Right. I promise. Like I, I, I I, like I'm not a slow, but this is an area that it's just like my mind moves slower whenever it comes to numbers. And so I just have to have the humility to say, like, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed whenever it comes to this stuff. And money is not my primary priority, but it is a responsibility for me as a business owner. And so I had to tell Nicole that. And I had to ask Nicole, I said, hey, I hear cash flow is really important and that it's something that I need to pay attention to. Could you help me create a report that I look at every single Thursday? And then I'm also going to ask you, could you play the role a little bit of teacher for me so that you can help me understand what I'm looking at? Because I could even know it today and three weeks from now, completely forget it. And it, all it took was me asking the question. And she was like, oh my gosh, I love doing that. And and for the first year and a half of, a biz, of the business until we hired our COO, she played that role for me. She would have never done it if I hadn't asked, though. And so what I really want to encourage people on here is have the humility to say, I'm clueless on this stuff. I don't really understand, but I want to. Can you help me? Yeah, there's there's two points that I want to highlight there that, that you said. Number one is I think there is incredible wisdom and strength, wisdom and strength in humility. I, I don't think that's a weakness. I think that's a, a superpower. And it's a superpower because very few people have it. So the, the humility to say, I need help with this, 
is is definitely a strength and a sign of wisdom. And, you know, I'll point out if you didn't catch it, we do this stuff for a living and I still have an outsourced bookkeeper, right? I need that other set of eyes on it. I could do it. I did it for a while, but I recognize like that's not where my time should be spent. And I know this stuff, but a lot of people, especially when they're earlier on, they convince themselves like, oh, I'll just do it. I'll figure it out. And I think that's misguided and misinformed. You know, so as soon as as soon as you've got the cash to to afford a bookkeeper, go ahead and do it. And I think, you know, again, belay very, very affordable, you know, particularly around the quality and the timeliness. You know, I've I've got you know Rockstar too, it sounds like just like you. The second thing that I would offer, gosh, and now I'm worried that I lost it there. I did lose it. So we're gonna just go with that. There's strength in, in humility. So well, it's pretty high. I mean, I know people that would be like, they just make up something and they'd be like, I got this. So I think it's you expressing humility that you're like, I, I don't remember what I was gonna say. So I appreciate yeah. that. Okay, let's let's scale up now. So so sure. we're past that initial stage. At what point do you reach the next echelon? So so you've been working just with a bookkeeper for a long time. Well, actually, one thing I'd like to put call attention to before we get there. If you are someone that owns or runs a business, my belief is you should not be doing your books, period. I I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think it's even worth a conversation on how good you are at it because I just don't think it's you investing your time wisely. Would you agree with that, Michael? A hundred percent. And again, that's why I have somebody else doing it. I need to be focused on things that are far away from the decimal points and bookkeeping by definition is right up on the on the decimal point. So you're you're absolutely right, Alex. You want to get that other person in there, regardless of your competency. Your business needs you thinking of visionary things. Things are going to you know move the business forward, not things like was this a meals and entertainment transaction or a travel transaction. The other thing that's I think worth pointing out there too, bookkeeping is deceptively complicated. You know, you think that it's just a matter of categorizing transactions. You know, was this meals and entertainment or travel? Was this, you know, cost of goods sold? That That's true at the simplest level, but especially if as your business gets just, I mean, any level beyond more complex than, than, you know, 20 grand a year in revenue, there's some implications in there. And here's what's true if you get your books wrong. One of these things is always true. If your books aren't accurate, you're either going to underpay on taxes or you're going to overpay on taxes. Neither of those are good. So it's, you know, like spend the couple hundred bucks a month to get a bookkeeper, make sure it's done properly. That way we don't have tax surprises later. Okay. So what is the next stage that you need maybe a higher degree of sophistication or complexity in terms of how you're looking at the finances? It it normally starts to, to hit around the two or 3 million in revenue mark. You know, when when your decisions start, I always go back to that, you know, your decisions have a lot of zeros on the end of them. When you're doing things that are tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars, there's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of things that you, even as a seasoned business owner, may not know to look out for. There's, there's potholes coming. There's roadblocks coming. There's things that are going to come out and get you that because of your experience in in, in you know, as much as you've done, your experiences are limited. You you don't know what to look out for. And a lot of times, once those decisions are made, they can't be undone. And, and those decisions come with consequences in the forms, again, of profitability, cash, taxes, all of those things that are that are just so important. So somewhere in that two and a half to three million dollar range, it normally starts to make sense to bring in 
a higher level of financial understanding in the form of like a fractional CFO as an example. Okay. And can you explain the difference between a controller and a fractional CFO or a CFO for that matter, Michael? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So earlier we talked about the bookkeeper, the accountant, they're, they're the rear view mirror looking folks. The CFO, only forward looking. They're, they're the strategic folks. Sometimes as you build out your accounting team, you need a leader in a role there where they have one foot in both doors. So a controller is going to be a lot of times managing or providing oversight to the folks that are doing the tactical work, the AR, the AP, the payroll, the bookkeeping, the taxes. They have a deep understanding of how those things work and they can make sure that they're being done properly. But they also are part of those strategy conversations. They, they, they need to know where the business is headed so that they can make sure that the tactical work that's being done is being done in such a manner that it supports the st strategic direction. So that controller normally will have one foot in the tactical and the other in the in the strategic. Okay, that's so helpful. So just so people have context, the way I'm understanding this right now is our integrator, he's also our COO, his name is Zach. He is also wearing the controller hat right now because he manages the bookkeeper. He's the one that is in contact with our CPA. He's making sure everything is managed on that side. But then he's also in our leadership team meetings saying, hey, based on where we're at financially, in terms of the decisions with regard to hiring or growth or goal setting or budgeting or experience production that are coming down the pike, here's my recommendation on what we should do. And so it sounds like in many ways, would that be a proper description? He's wearing the controller hat there. I don't know Zach. I mean, I, I kind of know Zach, but I don't know his background so well. But based on what I understand of Zach, I would say no, because he doesn't have the deep understanding of how the, the bookkeeping, the accounting, the taxes work and what the implications of the strategic direction of the company are on how those things need to be managed. So again, I don't know Zach, you know, but if he does have that understanding, then absolutely. So it's not as much about managing the people, but understanding how their actual work needs to be impacted to make sure it's in alignment with the strategic direction. And we, we can get really technical really fast. And I don't want to, I don't want to do that, but to me, like you've got to have that understanding of, of taxes and accounting and how all the, the mechanics of those things work relative to where the business is, is trying to drive from a strategic financial perspective. Yeah, understood. Uh, and so in between bookkeeper and fractional CFO, would you recommend people hire a controller? Not, it depends. You know, it, it depends on the size of the business. Oftentimes, again, if you're in that two to three million range, you just need one of each. You need the, the fractional CFO and the accountant or, or bookkeeper. And we'll, for, for the purposes of this conversation, we'll use accountant and bookkeeper interchangeably. Sure. Uh, yeah. they're, they're not exactly the same thing, but we'll use them interchangeably. You'll start to get to a point, though, where your internal team builds, where not only do you have a bookkeeper, but you've also got a tax preparer. You're also collecting and remitting sales tax. You've also got someone doing accounts receivable. Another person maybe is doing accounts payable. And, you know, you've got 50 employees, so there's someone dedicated just to payroll. That's normally where that controller will come in because it's too much for the, the CFO or the fractional CFO to manage that whole team. There's too many complexities at that point. So a lot of times that's where it makes sense to bring that controller in when, when the accounting department just gets so big that it no longer works. 
Okay. And so we're above that 2 million mark. At what point or what are people experiencing when you would really advise, man, you're in the sweet spot for needing a a fractional CFO at this point? Normally, I I hear the same story from folks, right? When when I tell them that story about the forward looking and the rear view mirror looking, their eyes will light up and they'll say something like this. They'll say, oh my gosh, I've been asking for help with that forward looking work. I've been asking my accountant to help me with the projections and the forecast and the cash flows. And what do we need to be thinking about from a tax perspective so that we don't overpay? What do we need to do now to legally and ethically minimize our taxes in five years? And I've been asking for that, but they won't, they won't tell me. That's normally a sign that it's time to bring in somebody that's got that CFO hat on, you know, where, where it's those forward looking questions. The answers are outside of your comfort zone now where you're like, yeah, I just I need someone that that's really passionate, that's really been you know, dedicated their careers to helping us figure that kind of stuff out. When you're in that spot, that's normally a great sign that, it, that it's time. Yeah. And, and so. I mean, I, I think you've probably got a really captive audience right here that uh, could really use what y'all do, quite frankly. I don't think I know you do right now. And so I guess what I'd love for you to do is just describe like what a typical engagement with y'all looks like. Like how do y'all onboard people? How do people get started? All of that, Michael. Yeah. So onboarding is is so critically important. That's where we just get really curious and we start doing a lot of research into your finances and your tax histories and the business model and all of those kinds of things. And and we do a bunch of nerdy stuff on the back end. Then we get on a call and we just ask a lot of questions about the business, about where you're at, what struggles you've had, where you're trying to go. And then we get into our, you know, our our CFO engagement after that. We normally spend two or three weeks on onboarding and then we start building out those fundamentals. You know, once a month, we're going to get on a call. We're going to talk about the critical four we're going to look together at your cash flow forecast. We're going to work together to set some strategic goals. And if you're an EOS company, you've already got your strategic goals. But what we're going to help you do is put some financial numbers behind those so that we can make sure that revenues, gross profit, net profit, cash, all of those things are lining up the right way. And then we're going to introduce what I call it executive level leadership, executive level accountability, and executive level decision making with that financial lens. And we're going to do that together every single month to make sure that you're on track to hit your goals, to get those fears and uncertainties behind you. And that's really what it's built on. Now, as the relationship continues, you know, we start doing bigger and bigger things together. But that's really where it starts. You know, we start with curiosity during onboarding, just learning what makes you guys tick. And then we start doing the number crunching and and teaching and empowering month in and month out to make sure you're, you're headed in the right direction and that we're supporting you however we however we need to. What would you advise if someone's at the stage where they're like, okay, I'm considering either working with your team or working with someone else in that CFO position or fractional CFO position? What are some of the soft skills or competencies or values that you would say, man, make sure you're interviewing for looking for these things whenever you're searching for that person? That's a great question. And, you know, I actually have an interesting perspective on this because in addition to running my own firm, I have another business where I coach literally hundreds of other fractional CFOs on how to grow their firm. And and this is what I see, Alex. Most people that move into the, the fractional CFO world, not always, but generally speaking, they have the technical skills. They understand what needs to happen from cash flows and projections and tax drive. They, they have those skills. 
the thing you really want to look out for is to make sure that they have the heart of a teacher. Because like I talked about earlier, someone that's just coming in and telling you stuff or, or telling you things or explaining things to you in a way that doesn't relate to you, that's not uh, in a way that you can take it and turn into action, the value is just not there. And so as you're talking to folks, make sure that they feel like someone that's going to be patient with you, that if you need something explained four different ways, 10 different times, they're not going to get frustrated. I think that's the most important thing because at the end of the day, they're a resource for you. They're, they're not going to make the decisions for you. And so if they're not teaching you things, if they're not helping you grow and, and think differently about your finances and your financial decisions, then I just got a question, what value are they really adding? So I, I think first and foremost would be that, that, you know, heart of a teacher, patience, all the things that come along with that, that kind of teacher uh, persona. And the other thing is, you know, on the technical skills piece, make sure that the services that they're telling you about or that they're, they're pitching to you, make sure that those are forward looking. You know, make sure they're not telling you that they're going to do your accounting and, you know, the, the book, the rear view mirror stuff. A lot of firms will do that, too. And that's OK. But make sure that they're heavy on the strategy, heavy on the forward looking stuff, because that's really where the, the value proposition is there. Mm. That's one of the reasons why I was so looking forward to sharing your perspective with our audience, just because I, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to leaders that engage with a firm or engage with a professional and they are paying them and they their common story after the phone calls or after the meeting is, oh, I just feel like such an idiot or I just feel like, and it's like, that is not how you, you should feel more equipped, more engaged, more capable, more intelligent. And, and I just don't think that's the common story. So I really appreciate the fact that you hit on that, Michael. You should get off those calls with your fractional CFO energized, right? Like ready to go out and do it, you know, like, like we do after our, our uh, like our EOS days, you know, we, we finish a quarterly, the whole team's just ready to go and crush it. You should feel the same way, not just with your CFO or your fractional CFO. I think you should feel that way anytime you talk to anybody that's a vendor, anybody that's on your team. You know, so that's a big sign for me are like these people firing me up and getting me, you know, passionate and energized about going out there and, and serving the market or are they dragging me down? Are they making me feel less than? So I would say that should be true with with anybody you work with, definitely with with your CFO. What is the top end in terms of size and scale of companies that y'all work with at KFE? It, it'll get up around 30 to 50 million dollars, you know, because the reality is. The complexities, the nuances, the challenges, when you start getting up around that range, you, you really just need somebody full time. You really, you really start to need it. So it's hard to put, a, to put your thumb on it, but it's somewhere in that, you know, 30 to 50 million. And it depends a lot on industry is an example, you know, but it's just the team. You know, if you're trying to open up five locations in 10 different states, you've got 400 people on the team. It's time to have somebody that's, you know, kind of there in, in a good Fractional CFO will be candid with you about that. You know, like our, our goal is to grow all of our clients big enough that they have to hire somebody full time. You know, like that's because that means that we've done our job. We've helped them grow. We've helped them get the, the revenue, the cash that they need, the profitability they need, that they've got to have somebody full time. So a, a good CFO, a good fractional CFO will let you know if it's if, if you're at a point that you need it or not. 
Well, and I've seen you do that with Gerald's company, also Dave and Carrie Way's company. Y'all helped them hire the people that they needed, right? And that, w- that was so cool for me to see, especially in your engagement with Gerald, is it's like I knew they needed more seats filled on their financial team. And it wasn't like, okay, we got to do that before we work with Michael's team. I, I think y'all even helped them interview for those roles so that they could get those seats filled with high integrity, highly competent people. We, we did. And, you know, part of it is we we want to see them win. Some of it's self-serving. You know, if they bring in people that aren't great, that we've got to work with them. You know, we're part <laughs> of the team. You know, we're, we're, we really, we always talk, we, when we work with clients, we always use the word we. We're part of the team. And so we want to work with people that have a high level of excellence and that are, are equally passionate ab- about the work. And so absolutely, you know, we, we helped them identify it. Now, what a lot of people will say, and this is, this is a myth, and I want to, I want to, challenge people to think differently about. A lot of people will say, "Eh, you know, I need help with the CFO stuff, but before I hire the fractional CFO, let me fill these other seats in the accounting function. And I'm just like, man, wouldn't you rather have the map before you enter the forest? Wouldn't you rather have people that know this like inside and out helping you figure out who you need to hire, what the the pay scale needs to be, what the experience needs to look like? You know, get the map before you go into the forest to make sure that you're building that team the right way instead of just kind of kind of winging it. Yeah, there's no line of thinking that makes me just go crazy more than when people tell me, oh, let me make sure I've got my act together before we bring in a business and leadership coach. It's like, because then what are you going to do with a business and leadership coach? First of all, you never feel like you fully got your act together, that you're never going to reach that day, right? But then also it's like, this is the posture that we want is, man, I don't have it figured out. I never will have it figured out. I'm figuring it out. And therefore, I rely on other people to staff my weaknesses. And, and I love that that's kind of y'all's focus as well as come, come as you are, help us or allow us to align with you on where you're at. And then let's define the right steps to take together. Very good. Well, I guess if there's people on here that are like, okay, I, uh, I definitely need a fractional CFO. And I think I want to explore what it would look like to work with Michael and the KFE team. What would be the next step that they would take, Michael? Let's go to our website. And I'm going to say this slowly because it's so easy to hear it wrong. It's KFE. KFESolutions.com. You know, I got several years into business and it was then it was too late to change it. I never intended to start a whole big business, uh, you know, around this. And uh, so I'm kind of stuck with the name, but it's KFESolutions.com. I imagine we'll drop it in the in the show notes and everything like that. And you'll see a, a button all over our page that says uh, work with us. And we just got a couple of questions, uh, kind of screening questions to make sure that we're a good fit. But I, I like to point this out, Alex. We're not for everyone. We do have the heart of a teacher, but I'll tell you this, we're going to challenge you. We're going to push you. We're going to hold you accountable. And so I would say like, if, if those things get you excited, if you're like, I, I kind of need that, then I'd love to talk to you. If that's not you, that's okay. But we probably won't be a good fit because it's about growth to us. And a lot of times you need those factors for growth to happen. 
And so it's, we're going to show up and, but we expect you to show up too. Final question for you. Um, as it relates to our 12 fundamentals for healthy business, we do success statements for each fundamental. And these are basically statements that describe a standard that we want to be consistently true for a business to be healthy. There's five success statements within the financial health metrics and rhythms fundamental. And one of them that typically has the most umph or firepower for business owners is the success statement is the business owner has a sense of informed clarity and peace around the organization's finances. And the first thing we do whenever we enter into an engagement with someone as it relates to coaching them to practice healthy growth in all areas of their business is red, yellow, green, that statement. Where are you at? Red is that is not true. Yellow is that is inconsistently true. Green is that is consistently true. If someone is at a stage right now where they would say that is red, uh, I do not have a sense of informed clarity and peace around the organization's finances what would be your word of encouragement, challenge, and advice to that person, Michael? That's okay. It's okay that today you don't have that, that sense of clarity around it, but it's also today is the day that we change that story for you. Today is the day that you can change your, your, your ownership of that financial clarity and make a difference with it. So don't let what's, what was true before you heard this be your story into the future. Don't let it be your story tomorrow. Take action today. You know, like you said earlier, Alex, there's never going to be the perfect time. There's never going to be the time where you're like, okay, now it's time. It's the right time to do this. If it's red, it's the time to do this. And so I would just encourage you take action. Don't don't be shamed or guilted about the fact that you're red today, but just know that green's in your future. You own the ability to make that true. Well, Michael, I, I appreciate your heart for people, your team's commitment to excellence, and just the sheer sense of integrity and just values that are embedded in the way that you teach this stuff. It's such an incredible example for all of us. So thank you for your time. Of course. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. I love talking about this stuff. Well, before we close out today, I just want to re-highlight that principle that our coach Kyle always says, clarity creates action. And one of the primary emotions associated with the topic of finances in a negative way can be fear, right? We fear the unknown. And one of the steps you've got to take with that is you've got to know what you can know. And that's part of stewardship. So maybe you need to hire a bookkeeper. Maybe you need to start having the right conversations with your bookkeeper. Maybe you need to establish evaluation rhythms where you look at those four critical metrics or your cash flow forecasting, or maybe you need to explore what it would look like to work with Michael and his team at KFE. Regardless, don't sit in stagnancy. Don't sit in paralysis. Take one step. And if you are interested in working with Michael and the team at KFE Solutions, we'll put the link to that in the show notes. Hey, before we go, every Wednesday, we send written content very similar to the audio content that's on this podcast every week. We call it Worth It Wednesday. That's because I think most email isn't worth it. It's not worth your time. It's not worth your energy. So every week we want to send one email that actually is worth it. We'll send a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. So many of you are part of that growing community. And if you want to be one of the impact-driven leaders that receives Worth It Wednesday every single week, you can sign up for that in the show notes of this episode or by going to pathforgrowth.com. Y'all know this. We're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me, your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's go.